0: Unleash your self-expression with the enchanting coconut fragrance of Clorox Cintiva. You can get yours at a nearby retail store, also available in grapefruit or lavender scents. <sighs> ah, summer. The best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there was another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. At IKEA, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, they have all of the essentials that you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. So join me in helping St. Jude in this fight. Become a partner in hope at musicgives.org. That's musicgives.org. Okay, happy Tuesday. As promised, I've got Lisa here to do a Q&A with me uh, on Outweigh Questions. So I've been blown away at the amount of emails that have come in about Outweigh. I mean, Lisa, I don't know about you, but sometimes I am, when I open the email box or I open up DMs and I just see how people have been touched by the series, it just, for me, it's affirmation. I'm so thankful that we did it, and it makes me so excited for season two because our main goal is for people to not feel alone and to dip their toe in the water towards some freedom simply by listening to the series. That's not going to get you there. And Lisa will tell you it's a lot of work. I will tell you too. And I'm still a work in progress, but along the way there's so many questions that pop into your head, especially after listening to a series like that. So we appreciate that y'all are sending us the questions and we'll try to get them answered as we can, but I pulled some and we're going to do since to go along with our four things theme. I pulled four questions and uh, Lisa is going to help me answer them. Cause I feel like Lisa, she's the registered dietitian. She's the fork, the noise creator. She has so much wisdom and she's the expert here in this Q and a, and then I'm here to just give my thoughts on things having gone through it myself as well. And Lisa's gone through it too, but then she has the background and you can say what your background is here, Lisa, in case someone's just yeah. chiming in and yeah. they don't know.
1: I think you you kind of nailed it on the head there. I'm an expert, I think, for two reasons. One kind of I've been through the throes of it and out the other side. And then the other one is I've worked with people for the last three or four years specifically in your shoes. And for that reason the same questions, thoughts, confusion comes up all the time. And so I feel really comfortable helping you navigate this with less error when you go through trial error of figuring this out. So I hope that my advice is not, you know, you don't take it for face value, but you take time to listen to what I say and either take what resonates or if something hits the wrong chord with you, you know, take a moment and say, why is it hitting the wrong chord with me? Is it because I'm scared to do what she's saying? Or is it because that won't be the right answer for you? So, you know, just empowering you to listen, but of course, use your intuition in knowing what truly is best for you. Awesome.
0: Now that we got our little disclaimer about who we are and what we bring to the table out of the way, I'm going to get to the first question, which is from Teresa and I'll read the questions and then Lisa will be doing most of the answering, but I will be chiming in as well. Hey, Lisa and Amy, I just finished listening to all four episodes of Outway, And I wanted to thank you both for putting this together. I have greatly struggled with disordered eating over the last four years. And I started seeing a therapist in November to help with intuitive eating and learning how to change my thinking. I was starting to make some positive steps, but in January, I had a very painful miscarriage, which knocked me back several steps in my process. Among dealing with emotional pain from a miscarriage, that also meant we had huge medical bills to deal with, and the appointments with my therapist, I could no longer afford. I started turning to the traditional comfort foods, which put me back into a very negative headspace with my self-esteem and relationship with food. Outweigh has been a huge help in this uncertain time. It has been a great podcast to remind me of encouragement my therapist used to give me along this journey. I do have a question. I struggle with finding or discovering my inner voice when it comes to listening to what my body needs. For example, when I have a day without eating what I used to think of as junk food, I always feel much better. But I think it's because subconsciously I feel proud of myself for avoiding quote bad foods even though I don't call them that anymore instead of really paying attention to how I really feel old habits die hard so it's hard to break my subconscious mind of feeling proud that I avoided those previously bad foods I don't think it's a true reflection of listening to my body but it's more that I'm listening to the cues from my old ways of thinking how can I break that habit how can I become more in tune with my true inner self Also, I just wanted to throw in that at my last doctor's appointment, when they went to weigh me, I told them that I've been struggling with disordered eating, and I asked them if I could stand backwards on the scale so I did not see the number. I requested that she not say the weight out loud, and the nurse was happy to do that. So in case others struggle with that awkwardness, that approach helped. Thank you, Teresa.
1: Perfect. So, I mean, Teresa has been through a lot this year, so just to take a moment to kind of honor a lot of the difficulty that she's going through. And what I find so amazing about Teresa and the Teresas of the world, really all the people that listen to Outweigh and send us feedback, they are so willing to do the work, to question their thoughts and their behaviors and not just let little things kind of sneak up on them despite the stress they're under. So there's just like an introspective nature of our audience that, I just relate to personally. And it feels so amazing to be surrounded by women that are so brave. So thank you, Teresa, for sharing this. It's been a really tough year for you. And we are holding space for you. And, you know, we're here for you, despite your therapist not being a resource for you right now. So the first thing that I'm kind of noticing with Teresa is that She feels proud of herself for avoiding, quote-unquote, bad foods, even though she doesn't call it that anymore. So I think it's a really wonderful step to stop calling food good and bad. But sometimes we're kind of in this in-between stage where we're not calling them good and bad because we're trying not to see them that way, but we haven't really neutralized them in our mind. So even though we're not calling them a good or bad food in our mind, they're still that way. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. I, I'm in that phase right now where I'm trying to break my horrible habit of, of calling foods good and bad. Yeah. And it's so it's first, not easy.
1: First step first step is to recognize which two foods you consider good, which foods you consider bad. So this is absolutely a step in the right direction. But then comes the neutralizing of the foods. So allowing these foods to be back on your plate, your table and your cabinet And allowing yourself to eat these foods not just when you really are in the mood for them or when you're really craving them but to have them around more frequently and eat them and consume them and become more comfortable with them. So we did provide a tool that I think could be helpful which is the porcenoids.com forward slash food rules will provide you with some tools to, to go beyond step one which is knowing which is good and which is bad. So again, step in the right direction. I think that that's really a great place to be, but it's time to go a step further and actually start neutralizing them. So that means allowing these foods to be part of your life, even if you're not craving them or desiring them, so you can learn if you like them, how much you like them, and show yourself that they really are available to you at all times. So for myself, I found, you know, I used to say that like all sweets were off limits unless a birthday or even after dinner allow myself to have a cookie, for example, after lunch, even if I wasn't craving it. And that allowed me to be a better listener to my body, but most of all, trust myself around these foods. And all of a sudden, a cookie wasn't a bad food because I was able to have a bite or two of a cookie at certain instances. And I'd also want Teresa to kind of double check with that feeling of having of having pride for herself after a full day of not having quote-unquote bad food and to ask herself, are you proud for following the rules or proud of yourself for allowing yourself to be the guide and allowing that to kind of settle in and see what comes up.
0: That's good advice because we we would rather be proud of ourselves for the latter, correct?
1: Exactly. And it sounds like she's answering these questions for herself, but she needs a little bit of reassurance from us. You know, even just the way she typed it out or, or sent it in, you know, she ha she knows exactly what she needs to be doing and 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 just doesn't know how to get over that hump. So I think that she's doing a wonderful job just listening to that inner voice that says, okay, I'm moving the needle, but I think I can move it a little further. And just to know that, you know, we're behind you watching, take the leap, do what you need to do to best serve you.
0: Well, Teresa, thank you for the email. And then also the tip that you shared uh, with us for weighing yourself at the doctor. Because if you listen to episode four of, the outweigh series that comes up. And I've even avoided doctor's appointments simply because I didn't want to be weighed. So appreciate that tip. Uh, The next question is from Brooke. Hey Amy, I'm really enjoying your outweigh series and definitely identify with the orthorexia description and I'm a work in progress. I have two sons, ages 3 and 5, and I feel as though I've transferred some of my obsession over healthy eating to them. I'm having a hard time balancing the desire to feed them nutrient-dense food to support their growing bodies without giving them a complex down the road. I know you've talked about some of your struggles with this pertaining to your own kids, and I'm wondering if you could bring on an expert to help navigate this topic or if you could just share some of the tips that you've learned. Also some tips on how to help prevent eating disorders or disordered eating in our kids as they grow. I follow kids eat in color on Instagram and I really enjoy her posts, but sometimes I get overwhelmed and I'm hoping to hear some concise advice from an expert. For example, how much Easter candy do I let them eat? If I limit them too much, will they just want it more? but if i don't put boundaries on it i don't think i'm being a responsible parent and school lunches i pack my preschooler a nutritious lunch each day but he's looking around at his friends with doritos and oreos in their lunch and wondering why he doesn't have them thanks for all that you do brooke so i mean lisa i'm in a i know that you don't work with the kid area a lot mm-hmm. and I'll just answer that Brooke you're not alone in this at all and I think that it's amazing that you're recognizing as a mom not only do we have a responsibility to fuel our kids with you know nutrient dense foods but we have also have a responsibility to not create a negative thinking around food or body image issues and have them put foods in categories of you know referencing the last email good foods and bad foods and I am totally guilty of that especially i mean i've only been a mom the last two years we adopted two kids from haiti i now have a 12 year old and a nine year old but oh my gosh my daughter just turned 13. i have a 13 year old good lord okay i have a teenager but she you know she's been with me the last couple years and my kids growing up in an orphanage I didn't know what it would be like once they got here and had a pantry full of food and a refrigerator full of food that they could have access to at any time. I knew I had read books where, you know, it could be that they started hoarding food and hiding it under their bed in their room because they didn't know when they would get access to food again because that wasn't their life at the orphanage. They ate when they were given food at mealtime and that was it. There wasn't, hey, I'm hungry, I want a snack, I can go to the kitchen, and then all of a sudden when they move in with families – and they see all this food, they wonder, is it always going to be this way or should I go eat all this food now or hoard it just in case it goes away tomorrow? And Uh I am very, very thankful and blessed that I have not had that issue with my two kids. I know that's not the case for everybody that adopts and I'm just thankful. There's already so many other things that come along with adopting kids from an institutionalized situation that I'm thankful that's not another thing on my plate. No pun intended, but (laughs) I, I know that I didn't do the best job at keeping my unhealthy habits away from them. I was already, you know, they would want candy right when they got here. And I made candy so off limits. I, I, couldn't believe it. I, everywhere we turned, there was candy. And I was, I was already lacking sleep and losing my mind and going crazy. And, you, you know, when you first—it's like you, when you first have a baby. Like, there's—you're not sleeping. Sometimes there's—my kids have attachment disorder. And we were just going through a lot, and it was hard. And I remember at church, (laughs) I dropped them off at kids' church, and when they got out, like, they gave them these bags of candy. And I looked at the woman like she was crazy. Really, I was the one that was crazy. But, again, had a lot going on, and I was trying to figure out how to be the best mom to them. And what I thought being the best mom to them was absolutely no candy. And if you want candy, you need to ask for that. And I couldn't believe that strangers— we're giving my kids candy. Not because I thought they had poisoned it or anything, but because like, don't they know that some moms are trying to keep their kids to not have any candy at all whatsoever? <laughs> I mean, I, I straight up returned the church candy and I said, no, thank you. And then my kids are sitting there looking at me probably, well, their English was not that great at the time, but they understood that they were not getting the candy and it caused so many issues it probably caused them to obsess about the candy way more because I I was so obsessed with them not having the candy. So I I'll say, Brooke, I'm giving you that example of where I was at the beginning of my parenting and where I was, it shows you where I was on my journey with food. I didn't want them to have the candy because, well, quite frankly, I didn't allow myself to have candy. So we were going to be a no candy house and that's just how it was. And I mean, obviously, there could be candy from time to time, but not on a random Sunday at church for no reason. I mean, you know, I thought people had lost their minds. And I I was so mortified even a few weeks after. I felt like I needed to go apologize to that Sunday school teacher, but I never did.
1: I love how, like, Outway is structured in kind of this way where you can really share your honest, pretty up-to-date stories. I think that it's something that people probably weren't expecting when they started listening to Outweigh. I mean, I know we said in, in our intro that we are, you know, two women that just are there with you, but I think that your stories really drive home that point that, and the tone that we, that we are trying to express, which is different than I think any other podcast out there. You know, we're, we're, we're telling our real stories in as, as close to real time as possible, and we're not talking down to our audience in a sense of we're the expert. I know you're; I'm the expert technically, but, you know, having you share this realness with the audience is it's comforting to, for me to hear. So I can imagine that the audience also feels that way.
0: All right. So a lot of us are guilty of doing that whole last minute shopping thing when it comes to holidays, like Mother's Day you might be in that position right now. And that makes it challenging to find a great gift for mom. But don't worry. Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. So whether the mom in your life is a fashionista or maybe even a photographer or a fanatic about yoga, Macy's Gift Finder has got so many great gift ideas to make her feel special. Now, Mother's Day is May 12th. So make sure you make note of that. Don't have much time. That's okay. Macy's has got you covered. And you can shop by price, $25 and under or $100 and under. You can shop by category, fragrances, handbags, and more. Or they've got gift lists like for the mom who has everything, gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted, or gifts for grandma. Top gifts include Beats headphones, digital photo frame, Polaroid camera. That would be so awesome to receive. Or my personal favorite, man, I would love to get this as a gift, Samsung Smart TV The Frame. Go to Macy's.com slash gift finder. Again, it's pretty easy. Just head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. All right, so I've been saving on shopping this year by only buying new clothes when I've sold some clothes that I no longer wear. And what this has done is it's forced me to be super wise when I'm adding clothes back into my closet. All you got to do is go to quince.com slash amy for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash amy. You're going to get free shipping. Again, 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash amy. Hey, it's Amy here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. And we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. That peace of mind means so, so much for these families. So join me in helping St. Jude in this fight. Become a partner in hope at musicgives.org. That's musicgives.org. A friend was over for dinner the other day, and, you know, we were just making conversation around the table, asking questions, and... This friend said to my daughter, like, hey, what's something that makes your mom happy? (laughs) And her response without missing a beat was clean countertops. Wiping down the countertops is a simple way for me to reset, especially when the smell is just right. And by smell, I'm talking about coconut. Coconut Coconut-scented Clorox and is my go-to, and I personally love that she answered that without hesitation. That means she knows me well, and that's really special. And of course, yeah, I do love clean countertops. I love wiping them down. I will always choose the smell of coconut over anything. I don't know what scent matches your vibe, but there's coconut, there's grapefruit, there's lavender. And again, for me, it's always going to be coconut. My kitchen smells like a little tropical vacation when I use it. And I love that with Clorox, I know I'm getting a really good clean as well. So it's a powerful clean and a refreshing scent. Clorox Sentiva cleans like Clorox and feels like confidence. You can get yours now at a retail store near you. Thank you for that because I, because I want Brooke to know that you are not alone in this confusion and you are doing the right thing by being concerned as to whether or not you're passing this along to your kids and you fear you might already have. But here's the thing. I know that I already did, but I am redirecting. I am relearning myself and I'm reteaching to them. And kids are amazing. And, and they brains are malleable. at
1: that. Yes. Age.
0: And so the best thing you can do is not feel guilty about how you've handled in the past, but just look at how you want to be and move in that direction. So you know Easter was what well, a couple of weeks ago and you asked specifically for example how much Easter candy do I let them eat and I have been over the last several months changing my my tune with candy and it doesn't mean that you're saying candy can be have eaten at all hours of the day I mean that's just not the same that's not the structure at my house with any food because we have structured times for meals. And I think that that's healthy for kids to have that. And my kids need to know that they have more food coming and they have a snack time and they, they can go get food at any time, but they still have to talk to us about it because we're the parents. And so even when it came to the candy, they knew like, Hey mom, can I have this candy? And my answer on Easter was of course, yeah, no big deal. Like I want, this is what Easter is all about. But then I knew that may cause me some issues come Monday where they're like, wait a second, I could have all the Easter candy that I wanted yesterday. What do I do now? So old me would have said, oh, well, it's not Easter anymore. You don't get any candy. Cut it off. You can't have it. New me sees it as, okay, if I do that, then I'm going, like I did when they first got here, I'm creating more of a candy obsession because then that's all they're going to think about because I have denied it. And also I would have referred to Easter day or candy day of all of that is like, okay, it's bad, but tomorrow you got to eat good. And I, again, that's another thing I don't want to put in their head. So now I don't even refer to candy as good or bad. I just say for coming Monday, I allowed them to still have their Easter candy, but I made it not a big deal. I just said, okay, yeah, if you want to throw a piece of candy in with your lunch, let's do that. No big deal. And they responded so well to that. They weren't obsessed about it. They thought it was cool that they got a piece of candy with their lunch. And then it slowly, they slowly throughout the week past Easter started to forget about their Easter candy. And now we have their Easter baskets in the pantry in full sight. Everyone can still see all the candy and everyone's living with the candy as if it's a, 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 a it's just normal. And then when, if it shoot i wouldn't have been able to allow that for myself as the mom because i wouldn't have been able to trust myself to not go eat all their easter candy
1: to that same point just to elaborate the foods that i thought i couldn't control myself around that i couldn't have in the house and this is something that we hear from adults all the time now that i have those foods in the house all the time it takes me months to get through like these foods you know because they're not on my mind when i eat them they're not in coping in huge quantities i eat them i move on so a lot of the same mindset kind of happens for children too. When the access is all around, they, they trust that it will always be around. So anyway, I'm going to go a little bit more general for my tips of what I know can be helpful. Obviously, when you have children and you want them to eat healthy and grow strong and be healthy and have nutrition awareness, that's a wonderful thing. So I just came up with a couple of like do's and don'ts, starting with the the don'ts, avoiding words like good versus bad or even healthy versus junk food, kind of just allowing them to see that food is food and allowing them to kind of figure out what is make, what is fueling them to feel alive and what's making them feel more tired. Avoiding correlating a specific food or ingredient to causing weight gain. Children are just, I mean, I think everyone's too young to hear that language, but specifically that's going to taint their understanding and connection to food and when we see food just about being the weight we really become disconnected to all the other wonderful things it does for us avoid telling them how much to eat if you feel like they're eating too much children have amazing natural mind-body connections in pets. so they know when they've had enough sometimes they will under eat sometimes they will overeat but allowing them to kind of figure that out is kind of just a beautiful thing. And they're, they're less consciously making those connections of, okay, next time eat a little bit more or next time eat a little bit less. So this is part of their learning too. So allow them to learn. Some things you can do that can make food kind of fun is teaching about colors, like, for example, how orange foods have vitamin C, which is great for immunity, Or talking about things like avocado or olive oil as having heart-protective types of fat. And again, these are depend on the age of the child, of course. Talking to them about how foods like pasta and rice and carbohydrates can make them run faster or have more fun. Also allowing them to be part of the food prep process. Again, this will depend on their age. But fun things to do can be like taking them to a farm to see how food is grown or... To having a gardening activity in your backyard if you have access to that. You know, having them be part of the actual process of creating the food can be really powerful. Next best thing would, of course, be allowing them to go to the grocery store and seeing what excites them in both the produce aisle and the, the pantry aisles as well. And then, of course, age-appropriate pending, maybe allowing them to be part of the cooking process. I think the most important point here is to be flexible. So if you are somebody like Brooke who stocks their house with mostly very obvious healthy foods, that allowing them to try and consume the foods that they're showing interest in, like the Doritos, and allowing them to be the decider of if they like it. So I feel like, Amy, like you said, the bigger deal you make out of the food being allowed or not allowed is going to impact how much they want it or don't want it. I mean, I have a niece and nephew, and it's so funny to just kind of watch their reaction to the things that I thought were so amazing. You know, like they're not even interested in in chocolate or if they have dessert, they often leave behind so much. So just allowing them to be the decider of of what they like, rather than imparting our
0: own thoughts on it. Yeah, I used to never think, and I don't know why I thought I would be able to magically control this, but we weren't going to just have ice cream, ice cream in the house whenever. And we were having it last weekend or maybe the weekend before. And my daughter finished hers and said, can I have more ice cream? And my initial reaction in my brain was, no, you can't. But then I thought, shoot. Is that me? Oh, is I don't. And then I have this conversation with myself. Am I just having wanting, making her crave the ice cream more? And the minute I gave her permission to have more and I said, yeah, sure. I mean, we we were watching a movie. I said, if you want to get up and go make it, then yeah, you can have more ice cream. And she sat there with her empty bowl for a little bit. And then later I said, Hey, did you not want to get up and go get the ice cream? She goes, I realized I didn't really want it. Mm. And. I thought, oh my gosh, like, okay, good for you. That's awesome. That was a good example too of maybe what I need to do when I'm craving something again immediately after I just had it. I give myself permission to go get more if I want, but then maybe I sit with it for a second and then maybe I'll conclude that I don't really want it. And I think too, I've had the issue with Stevenson. Uh, He loves blueberries and carrots and he would take those to school and- you know, his other classmates would have Cheetos. And he came home very confused by that and almost embarrassed of his snacks. And I thought, okay, well, this is difficult, but similar to the tip you gave, Lisa, I tried to start approaching food. And I learned this from Kids Eat in Color, which is actually a wonderful Instagram account. I think all of this information at times can be a little overwhelming, though. And I would love to get Kids Eat in Color on our season two of Outweigh. But She helped me look at foods, yes, for what they have to offer and speak to Stevenson about that. He wants to grow so badly. He's pretty small for his age, and he sees that his dad works out and has biceps and is strong, and so I approach food more with language around that, of him growing and staying strong and having healthy eyes and thinking about the blueberries and how they're good for the brain and... I give him that information to sit with and he still chooses the blueberries and carrots. And I don't have a problem if he wants to eat the Cheetos as much as I probably would have years ago. But I guess I still don't, Lisa, just full disclosure. I don't stock my house with Cheetos or Doritos, but they do have other kinds of snacks that they do get. But I'm starting to wonder, should should I have that stuff in my house? I don't know.
1: I'm not an expert or a mom, so I can't really say what I would do yet. But I think that allowing them to have to have that at certain times or in you know certain situations like will allow them to have access to it. And if you find them asking for it to have in your house, I think that could be a time to maybe consider having it in your house, knowing that oftentimes just the access to it won't mean that they eat it.
0: Okay. Good point. He hasn't asked for it, so I guess I don't need to bring the Cheetos. It just—I know it was a thing at school, but he didn't ask for them, so that's good. And then, did do you have a another a book recommendation for Brooke that might be good for other people too?
1: Yeah. So Ellen Satter is an author, and I don't know if she's a registered dietitian, but I, I was—I learned all about her approach when I was in grad school, and so it's not new by any means. Uh, Ellen Satter was kind of the. Uh, very ahead of her time, about talking about the division of responsibility of eating. And she has different books. You can go to ellensatter.com. It's E-L-L-Y-N, not the typical way Ellen is spelled, Ellen Satter Institute. And she has different books, and she has a really interesting approach about how, like, the parents' role in feeding their child and, and where where kind of they need to step back to create confident, healthy eaters. Awesome. So I'm sure that there are more and more kind of recent books that I'll start to look into, especially as we prepare for season two. But she's the one that comes to mind.
0: Okay. Well, Brooke, hopefully we answered some stuff there for you. And then again, we'll, yeah, we'll address it in season two. Okay. Next question is from Rachel. Hey, Amy, I've been listening to outweigh and I have a question. I'm overweight and need to lose some weight, especially for my health. How do I go about having a healthy relationship with food and still lose weight? I've tried multiple diets and always fall off the wagon. Any advice would be much appreciated. Love and Sunshine, Rachel.
1: So, hey, Rachel. First of all, thank you for listening to every episode. In episode four, we do have a doctor speak about, quote-unquote, needing to lose weight. So I think everybody should listen to that to have an understanding about how making it about weight can take away from health. So while the doctor and I don't argue that weight and health are correlated, we know that weight doesn't cause disease. And we also know that dieting itself can be an independent risk factor for disease. And to Rachel's point, we know that diets don't work. So really understanding that before you try the next thing is an important piece of information to go into. We also know that long-term weight loss is not possible for most people, and there's evidence to show that weight loss increases risk of early death. So that's all to say, in my opinion, that it's your choice if you want to pursue weight loss or not, but the pursue of weight loss is not an obligation that you have. So I encourage you, Rachel and Rachels of the world, to understand your why and understand that your worth in this world will never come from your weight and you are loved and whole as you are. So I just kind of wanted to preface that to begin with. When it comes to behaviors, healthy behaviors, it's important that we get specific. And that means communicating what feelings or symptoms you're trying to alleviate. So what is your chief complaint other than the weight itself? Are you lacking energy? Is your digestion sluggish? Weight loss is not a behavior. So. What can we do that is a behavior is the question I really want to assess. And what we can do rather than jumping on another diet that's going to fail, like you said, Rachel and Rachel's of the world, is we can try to eat in response to our body cues. We can move our bodies in joyful ways rather than always focusing on the caloric burn or sculpting, all that stuff. I think it's important to recognize in this new process that we're entering that there's no such thing as slip ups, relapses, a wagon. This is just a new process of for the very first time getting to know yourself and your body again. And the best thing we can do is not rely on more rules or rely on another expert to teach us more about our own bodies. This is up to you to become the expert in your own body. You can look to gentle nutrition principles to guide you. There's nothing wrong with eating empowered and and making conscious choices based on outer wisdom. But we want to make sure that these choices come from you right now, not the you that says, I want to lose weight. So I'm just going to say that part again, meaning I am eating this food right now because I know it's good for ABCDE, not I am eating this food because I want to lose weight. So that's eating for the future, not allowing you to connect with you in the moment and your needs. A lot of people are going to argue that you can't lose weight and heal your relationship to food at the same time. And I personally do agree with this. I think that having the goal of weight loss at the forefront is always going to impede at your ability to tune into that eating awareness cue that you do have. So in order to make long-term health-related choices, we need to learn how to take care of ourselves in the moment And that means understanding the current feedback from our bodies. It means unlearning a lot, including cultural norms, societal expectations, and also the truth about food and our bodies. So I found that by using the scale, for example, which obviously helps you say, am I being successful or unsuccessful at losing weight, is not going to help you better understand your body. All it does is make us lose sight of how we're actually feeling what's working and what's not working and pulls us away from our ability to take better care for ourselves. So that was long-winded, but I do just want to kind of point out that to be the best caretaker of yourself, we're not abandoning healthy habits or eating well. We're just shifting the focus on things that are actually happening, like digestion, energy, even your skin, even your joint mobility all those things. So begin to ask yourself questions when it comes to nutrition, like would a salad go with this? Can you add in vegetables? What does it take to make this more well-balanced? Does it need protein, fish, beans? What would make it more satisfying? What would allow me to leave this meal feeling good and not uncomfortable? So start asking the questions about this current meal rather than the questions about your weight for the long term.
0: Thank you for that answer, Lisa. Next question, and this is the final one, is from Crystal. Hey Amy, your Outweigh miniseries was fantastic. My first question is how do you go about teaching kids about nutrition instead of good and bad foods? I don't have kids yet, but I would love to have a starting place with them. I don't want my kids to grow up having the struggles that I have with food. So I'll just interject here real quick it's me talking not crystal's email crystal hopefully when we addressed the other question was it from brooke about yeah. her kids that was helpful to you and then lisa and i now know and i have other emails about kids too that this is a topic we need to touch on so again we'll address that in season two but i want to get to the second part of her email which was a second question and here's what she said currently I'm gluten-free because I have been having certain issues acid reflux and other stuff so this is my first personal test on removing something from my diet to see how it makes me feel then I will eventually reintroduce it So far, I think it's helped. If I reintroduce it and have issues again, is it okay to go gluten-free or should I get a doctor's opinion? This seems like a silly question, but I'm just wanting to keep healthy habits. Thanks so much, Crystal.
1: Awesome. What I love about Crystal is that she is experimenting and listening to the feedback of her body. I encourage all of us to do that and take note without coming up with preconceived ideas about how we should feel. I also love, what I love about Crystal and the way she worded that is that she's willing to reintroduce it rather than stopping at the point right now of, I removed gluten, I feel good. I'm going to keep gluten out of my diet forever. So that shows that Crystal is maintaining a healthy relationship. She's willing to enter it back in to see how it feels. So her second part of her question, should she see a doctor, is a doctor can test for something called celiac disease. And celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. What happens when you have celiac disease is your body sees this as a foreigner, as an invader, and attacks itself. And as a result, you can have some pretty serious short-term and long-term health issues if you continue to eat gluten, the protein found in wheat, over time. So it's important for somebody who may be celiac to see a doctor to rule out celiac disease. It's not a very big population that has celiac disease, but if you're somebody that thinks you could, it's worth seeing a doctor, either your primary care or they'll probably refer you to a GI doctor. So that being said, a blood test will tell you if you have antibodies for celiac disease or not. That being said, there's a large population that could be gluten intolerant or gluten sensitive. And for that reason, it might be worth working with a professional to do a proper elimination diet and find out. So in my personal experience with clients who think they can't eat gluten, what I have found that they feel better simply because in removing gluten, they actually underwent a huge dietary underhaul that cut out not just gluten, but a lot of foods that they used to eat. So this person, Crystal, speaks about cutting out gluten. And, and experiencing less acid reflux. Obviously, I've never worked with Crystal, but it's possible that in removing spaghetti, a food that has gluten, she also took out tomato sauce, which is an acidic food that might have caused the indigestion. So it's possible for some of us that it's not necessarily the gluten that is the problem. There's also studies to show that cutting out gluten for no reason just because you think it's healthy can negatively impact our health. And that's because without gluten, we also remove a lot of whole grain foods, which bring in fiber and antioxidants, which are successful in preventing heart disease. So I have found out that clients that cut out gluten for no reason can also replace it with gluten alternatives, which may not make them better off. So gluten-mimicking products, so if you're eating instead of a cookie, a gluten-free cookie, you might be adding ingredients such as more sugar and refined flours, rather than just eating a regular cookie that's made with eggs and flour and stuff. So it's important, as you and I have talked in previous episodes of your podcast, to not get lost in the healthy halo effect of gluten-free and to really figure out what kind of works for you. And lastly, I just want to kind of point in that other people you may find, I think, Amy, you, you don't feel fantastic with gluten. You might find that gluten doesn't make you feel fantastic, but you also know that you don't have celiac disease, And there might be situations where it's worth it for you to be present and eat a gluten-containing food, whether that's pizza, cookies, cake, or even something that is healthful, like farro, which is a whole grain, to be present with the situation that you're in and choose to feel meh or not so great for a day or so after having it. So the bottom line here is that Crystal, this may not mean that you need to cut out gluten forever. It's worth investigating further. And in the absence of celiac disease diagnosis, maybe it's important for you to remain flexible when need be.
0: Yeah, Lisa, that's all great advice for sure. And for me, yes, I cut out gluten because, well, years ago, it was part of a quote unquote plan that I was on to I'll try to get pregnant, but then ultimately made me lose weight. So then I felt better. And then I just thought gluten was the culprit and I could never have it again. And I avoided it like crazy, but it was just, it, I, I really can have gluten. I do, I do believe that. And so I've even reintroduced foods that I wouldn't previously have allowed myself to have the last several years, and I feel fine. So you do have to listen to your body and see what's best. And I, I still like certain foods that don't have gluten, but I have I know in my head, because I had previously told myself that it would be the end of the world, basically, if I consumed gluten. But now I have that freedom in my head, and I know that that is not true. It was a lie for my body, but you, you do have to listen to how it feels. And I am obsessed with Ezekiel cinnamon raisin mm. English muffins. Yeah, I love to just slice one open, put it in the toaster and then put some, a bunch of ghee on top of it with some sea salt. And it's this perfect salty, sweet thing. And I have that on repeat a lot of days. And that's something literally, I mean, an Ezekiel bread is really quality, amazing ingredients, mm-hmm. but I for years, wouldn't allow myself to have it because it wasn't gluten-free. So,
1: And I think that's like an important point that a lot of people don't know what gluten is and they just think gluten means bagel, pasta, rice. But a lot of whole grains contain gluten, wheat berries, semolina, spelt, farro, all these whole grains that I was talking about have fiber and vitamins and antioxidants. And so recognizing that gluten is not just one thing and it, it's something to kind of consider. You got to dive a little bit deeper into what you think gluten is, right? And and to understand kind of what works for you. So yeah, Ezekiel's filled filled with amazing nutrients,
0: and it's you know that that
1: works for you.
0: Yeah, and and I was denying myself something that I really enjoyed, be, simply because it didn't say gluten free. Even though, like I said, and then Lisa just you know, confirmed because she's the expert that it's full of nutritious ingredients for my body. But yet I would go to the store and buy a box of crackers with who knows what kind of crap in it simply because it said gluten-free on the box and it had, well, I guess I shouldn't say that, Lisa, because I'm retraining my, (laughs) this is. I mean, to
1: your your point, it had a lot more ingredients and
0: unnecessary
1: fillers, binders, preservatives, even to make it feel like gluten when You know, a piece of bread with wholesome ingredients
0: could have worked for you. Right. I'm just trying to paint a narrative again. See, guys, I'm a work in progress of calling food crap and good and bad and whatnot. I see you're witnessing it in real time right here. But I I catch myself, which I'm proud of. But I would, I'm just telling you how that's where my brain was. It was so hyper focused on not having gluten that I was denying myself a nutritious food that I previously let myself consume and putting that on the back burner, but allowing other foods into my body simply because it had a gluten-free stamp on it. Yeah, exactly. And that is, that's where it can get a little messed up. And, but Hey, it's never too late to start unlearning things and, and relearning. So I'm super thankful for Lisa and her knowledge. And uh, that'll conclude today's Q&A. Continue to send your questions to 4 Brown at gmail.com. Continue to engage with Lisa and I on Instagram. I'm Radio Amy. She's at the Necessities. And Lisa, you are putting this Q&A up on your blog, correct? Yes. So by whatever
1: day you publish this, I'll publish this on my blog, thewellnecessities.com. And if you want listen to this later on, just look at the published date to to see where it is. It'll be fairly new on my blog if you catch this around May 2020.
0: Okay, well I'll tell you the date is Cinco de Mayo, okay. May 5th, so should yeah, be yeah. easy to remember in case you're listening to this, yeah, at a later okay. date and you need to go back and find it. And Lisa, say your website again. TheWellNecessities.com. Okay, so it'll be a post on TheWellNecessities.com from May 5th, 2020. Cinco de Mayo, I'm going to have to have a margarita today. Probably another thing I previously wouldn't have allowed myself to have in my old ways of thinking, but having reasons to celebrate and living life and creating memories with people, those things far outweigh you denying yourself a margarita on Cinco de Mayo with those that you love, because that's what I did for for so many years and that's just an example but the reason why we made this called the series Outweigh is because a life without disordered eating outweighs everything including celebrations so I yeah. hope everyone has a great rest of your day whatever time of day you're listening to this and we will see you next time thanks for coming on Lisa thanks for having me Awesome. The best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there was another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. At IKEA, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, they have all of the essentials that you need to soak up summer in style no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with Ikea. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. (sighs) Hey, it's Amy here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. And we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. That peace of mind means so, so much for these families. So join me in helping St. Jude in this fight. Become a partner in hope at musicgives.org. That's musicgives.org. All right, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you